Welcome to the Design for a Living podcast with Chelsea Coriel. On this week's episode, I'm going to be telling you how I got started as a designer and why it should prove to you that if I can do this, anyone can do this. I meet designers all over um, and I talk to designers from around the world and it does make me feel, um, honestly, it's a little uncomfortable. I was just talking about this with someone else today that compliments sometimes can make you feel um, a little uneasy. But when they when they talk about my um, design business and my design career as, as you know, amazing or look at me as I've accomplished so much, and in a way I have, mainly because I've stuck with it for so long. Most people get burnt out and and quit this industry because um, it's tough. You know, there's a lot of emotion that goes in with it. But for the most part, it's just that I've learned lessons, learned from lessons, and I keep moving forward. And this is not, I didn't start out this way. And so I thought today maybe a good, um, a good chance to just kind of tell my story and tell you where I started from and how I've started all these businesses and why. And I'm hoping that you'll see that it doesn't have to be as scary. It doesn't, I mean, I just think that's silly when people are, are, are afraid to start their design business. And I know why. I know why they have that in their head because they've been told, they hear about the design police and they hear about, you know, ASAD and they hear about the tests you have to take and that kind of stuff. But that's not the only route to being a designer at all. And uh, it goes way back <laughs> to 92 um, when I graduated from school. Now, I do have a design degree. I was one of the last classes at my university that had the design program. And it was in the home economics department, which I absolutely loved because I grew up watching those reruns of Leave it to Beaver and all the 50s housewife shows. And I just thought those women were amazing, that they dressed beautifully and had high heels and skirts and pearls, but would make these beautiful cakes and roasts. And um, their kids always, you know, were kind and polite and um, got along with them and loved their parents. And I thought, that's what I want. I want that that house, right? And so as I was going through school and uh, I was actually studying physics was my first declared major. And I wanted to be a physics teacher. Um, or a biology teacher because I loved teaching. Crazy, huh? And I love science. And I thought, well, that would be a perfect combination. And then I've told the story many times how I literally stumbled into a design class on accident. I needed an elective and I was in a rush and I signed up for a class that talked about interiors. And I was thinking uh, it was uh, environmental interior it wasn't interiors it was in, uh, environments so i was thinking it was environmental studies class but no it was interior environments and that first day though the professor just it's like she described me she was describing you know walking along the streets and she'd see a beautiful leaf and she'd pick it up and she'd admire the color and the shape and the pattern and i thought well that's me and then her desk is always messy and she'd say well but it's organized chaos and i know where things are but i'm a visual person and i'm like that's me and I just knew, I knew that moment, it was this giant light bulb. I'm going to be a designer. That's it. And I went and asked the professor and said, how do I do this? How do I get into this program? And she said, well, you can't. <laughs> We're closed. 
we've already interviewed and um, we only have so many spots and they're all taken. I said, you don't understand. Like you, you have spoken to me. You have changed my life. This, I have to do this. And I've taken some art classes and I love it and I'm passionate about it. And so she gave me a shot and I got to interview and I got the position, right? And, and I haven't looked back. Now, again, it was in the home economics department. So I was thrilled. And technically, I am a professional home economist. And I'm very proud of that. But the rest of the world <laughs> didn't really care about home economics anymore. So they closed the whole department down. And along with it went the interior design program. Now, because of that, you know, we learned that you're supposed to take um, the NCIDQ exam, which is, you know, all designers that want to be certified, per se, in their states need to be certified by taking that exam and then, which is very expensive, you know, it's a couple thousand dollars. By the time you take the training, the courses and the exam, you have to work for an ASID member for three years under them. They have to have, you know, they've already had to have passed the NCIDQ exam. And, and to be even eligible to sit for the exam you had to have graduated from an accredited course. And our department was in the middle of its accreditation when the college canceled the department. So I kind of got stuck in this limbo where I wasn't even allowed to sit for the exam, but I had the degree and it just made me mad that I wasn't allowed to be considered a real designer, <laughs> even though I had done all this work, right? And so when I finally graduated, and, you know, started working in the real world, I realized that the schooling didn't teach me anything that I needed to know to be a real designer. I knew a lot about furniture history. And I knew a lot about architectural history. And I mean, the the amount of knowledge that I have in my brain from those four years in school that I don't use is amazing. I use like textile chemistry. I can tell you that your linen is not a good fabric for your sofa because it's going to wrinkle. And that if you have silk drapes, they need to be lined because silk rots in sunlight. Uh, there's a practical applications for textile chemistry, but two full years of it for my business wasn't really necessary. And, and, you know, skipping forward, that's why I started teaching design. Um, but when I was out in the real world and um, I still had that chip on my shoulder because they pounded into your head, if you don't take the NCIDQ exam, you're not a real designer. How dare you call yourself a designer? You can't call yourself a designer. I thought that's just crap. Like, I have a four-year degree from a university here. That should be worth something. But it, in our industry, it wasn't worth anything. And so, you know, again, like all designers, um, I used to correct people. They say, oh, you're a decorator? I say, no, I'm an interior designer. And people have asked, well, what's the difference? Uh, a four-year degree. <laughs> you know, you have that chip on your shoulder. My grandma called me an interior, whatever you call it, because she knew that I was picky about it. And she didn't obviously have much, <laughs> much of an opinion about what I did. But, but it was a big thing. I feel like, honestly, like the first 10 years of my career, it was this like guilt because I was calling myself a designer, but I didn't, I wasn't technically allowed to call myself a designer. Um, that, that my work was less than, you know, and, and I just, it breaks my heart. 
that this isn't this isn't rocket science, right? This isn't medicine where, yeah, you should have to take a test and prove to people that you know how to, to take care of other humans. But as far as design goes, there's so many different jobs that we have. And there's so many ways to be a designer that require nothing to do with any knowledge of structural integrity, that have nothing to do with textile chemistry, that, you know, a good designer, that's not what it's about. It's it's more about being able to talk to people and and confidence and all of that kind of stuff. So I guess it was maybe four or five years in and I had just, I had just had my first son. I was working at a store in Austin, Texas, and um, I was killing it. I mean, to be honest, I realized that my people skills were what was setting me apart and making me successful and my listening and, you know, able to give clients what they want. And so they would keep coming back and keep coming back and tell all the friends and, you know, I had a great reputation. I had a great following and I was making tons of money and I had my son and I was out on maternity leave for, I think, six weeks. And I went back to the store where I was working the first day back and retail hours are hard. And as a designer, that's a lot of, you know, a lot of us have to work retail hours. And I was back for about an hour and a half. <laughs> you know, she was just rude. And my, the owner was complaining that I had a breast pump in the store. And I thought, what am I doing? I want to be home with my baby. I want to be there and teach him to walk and teach him to talk and hold him. And the thought of working at a retail space where I'd have to work every single weekend. And I worked till eight o'clock every night by the time I got home. And it, it just made me sick, honestly, to my stomach. So I thought, it's now or never. I need to go out on my own, but how in the world am I going to do that? I'm not a designer, so I'm not supposed to call myself a designer. I don't have the resources. I don't have a contractor. I don't have any of that. But I knew I couldn't stay there. I just couldn't. There was there was too much more at home. And, and, and that's what I hear from people all the time. Like, they know that design is one of those careers you can have a family because you can choose your hours and you can work around your family and your life, you know, and and spend as much time as at home as you want, and still have this great career. So I knew that's what I wanted to do, but you know, how could I do it? And I was talking to a couple clients that I'd been working with um, that day, and I was telling one of them that I was really close with my problem, and she said, "Listen, my mother-in-law has a big project." why don't you work for her? She'll hire you. I'll talk to her. And so I thought that's enough. One project, that's enough. Now I should also add, we had just bought our very first house and we were completely in debt remodeling it ourselves. We just bought our very uh, first new car (laughs) off the lot. It was an Explorer, which was huge that year. It was 95. Um, So I had a lot of debt. And I had a lot of bills I had to pay. I couldn't fail. It wasn't an option. My husband was a student and in the military. He didn't make enough money and he couldn't work any harder to make more money. I mean, he was in college. So it was all or nothing. And I just had a leap of faith in myself. And I I knew that I had to do it, that it didn't matter, you know, what. I I was going to make it a success. So I left, gave him my notice that day. And my husband said, I can't believe it took you an hour and a half. I was surprised it took you that long. And the next day, I 
I mean, really hit the ground running, made my business cards and gosh, we didn't have websites then. We didn't have the internet back then. Um, but I knew I, I had to start learning. And uh, so this job we were doing was a commercial job. And I've, I've mentioned in, in some other stories, but it was a um, dancewear store. And she had had dance studios and a dancewear store for years. And she was finally doing this new store. And um, so I was going to work with the build out, which I didn't know what that meant because I didn't learn that in school. And, you know, I had a budget. We had to interview three different contractors because they had to be given three different options. Um, it's just a, a liability thing. And so I got to meet three different contractors and and ask the questions, um, learning about how to bid things out, learning about, um, you know, what it meant to build out a retail commercial space. Now, back then, I also was really worried about, obviously, as everyone should be, about building codes and requirements. And so without the internet, I actually had to go to the library, into the city, and look up building codes and what did I need to know for flammability ratings and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, I, but I did the research, right? And I, and I learned. And then I knew that retail design is very specific and it's very psychological. And I had met once a designer that does all the Victoria's Secrets stores. At, at a speech or something. And he had talked through the process and how they always put like the everyday underwear and the bras at the back of the store. So you had to walk past all the expensive stuff to get to the stuff you're there to buy. <laughs> and it was all strategy. I thought, well, that's brilliant. So I need, to, I need to put a focal point at the back. And then I thought to myself, there are certain retail stores that were so successful, they are now worldwide chains. They've got to be doing something that's the same. So I went to the mall. And I took notes and I drew things out and I went to the Gap. <laughs> you know, I went to William Sonoma. I went to these stores that were so big and so successful. And I looked for patterns and I looked for you know, repetition and things that they all did. And I found out where they placed their cash wrap and that they divided the walls so you had different sections. And, and when I presented to my client, I talked about all of those things as if, well, of course I know that. Of course I learned that in design school. No, I learned that by going out there and looking what other people had had done and and reverse engineering it. So then because I had these very specific ideas, I then had to figure out how to get the contractor to build that. And so I used honestly, I didn't have the drafting tools and I didn't have, you know, my typical drafting table and I didn't so I just sketched it out, on, you know, on a piece of graph paper and he knew exactly what I wanted. It's like, "Okay, that's fine. Yeah, great. We can do that." And they built it <laughs> and a custom cash wrap with these glass shelves. And I had to go find a glass supplier. And I just learned so much on that one project, but I didn't let it scare me. And I didn't, I didn't, um, you know, keep me from going after it. And probably because I had that responsibility at home, I had to provide for the family and pay our mortgage payment. So I, there, again, failure wasn't an option. And it was a huge success. And I love, I can't believe I didn't take pictures. We never take pictures. Always take pictures of your projects. I don't know why. At the, at the end, you're so sick of it and you just want your final paycheck and you just want to leave. And she had put the clothes in all wrong and it, it messed up my system. And, um, you know, I had studied all this stuff and she just put things in willy nilly. But, but the other thing I learned at that time in my life is here I was worried so much. And again, thinking I was nuts to try to figure stuff out. And I was, you know, as a designer, you'll meet other designers and you 
you know, we're all crazy. And so we can sit around and talk about furniture and have fun and not get bored. And so I was doing that with some other designers and there was one that was so successful and she was getting, you know, restaurants and bars and big projects. And she was just this young girl. She was probably maybe 25. She didn't have a degree. She didn't have any college and she was killing it. And I I was asking like, how do you do that? She said, I don't know. I just learn. You just learn. You meet the people and you just ask questions and you learn. And that started my, um, like I, I wasn't afraid after that. You know, I, I never thought a project was too big or was out of my reach because I learned you, you don't have to make mistakes if you just ask people who know more than you and you pay attention and you understand why things are the way they are. Why, why do they put that there? Why do you need this extra support here? Why do you have to have this for an overhang on a, on a kitchen island? It's got to be more than, you know, it's, if it's more than 10 inches, you have to have an extra support. And you, know, you just learn on the job. And that was, that was so eye-opening to me and really just the pressure off, right? At, at that point, there wasn't anything that I couldn't do. Now, of course, did I stop learning lessons? No. That very client was the one that I learned, you have to have a contract. I don't even, I don't care if they're a friend or a family member, have a contract. It just saves headache in the end and keeps you as the professional. That was a hard lesson to learn. Um, but boy, I learned it fast and I never made that mistake again. And so I worked in Austin for about another year and then my husband graduated and we moved because he was a pilot in the Navy and he had, well, he was going to be a pilot. He had to go through flight school. So we moved from Austin. Um, I think we, we went to Pensacola, Florida. And again, military enlisted pay is nothing. We made no money and they paid to move our stuff, but we still had to, you know, you know how much, how much it costs if you move into a new place, you've got your first and last month's rent, you've got I mean, 8,000 trips to Target, new trash cans and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It just adds up. It's thousands of dollars. So even though we were only going to live there for three months, I had to get a client and make some money. Luckily, because I had this great portable career, I could. It, It was really easy to kind of start again. And I knew that if I just talked to other um, wives in our wives club, that's what it's called in the military, you have a wives club. If I talked to them and spread the word and told them I'm a designer and talk about projects they'd worked on. And of course, someone asked me to help them with their house. And it, you know, it wasn't much money at that time, but I was only there for three months and it was just enough, you know, helping him pick out a sofa, helping him come up with some drapes, you know, an area rug, little things here and there, but I could charge hourly. And then we moved Gosh, at some point we moved back to, to, to uh, oh, we moved to Milton, Florida, which is the place I've talked about where we had a Kmart and a Walmart across the street from each other. And that was it. No movie theater. We had a Piggly Wiggly, a Walmart and a Kmart. Um, and so designing was harder, <laughs> but I did a lot of color consultations and I helped people arrange things and hang pictures. You know, again, it, this career is so moldable. and. That's why, again, I I can talk to people anywhere in the world that loves interior design and I can teach them how to start a business because people are the same and people want beautiful homes. No, it doesn't matter where they live. And there are always resources if you're creative. And even if you don't have resources, there's a way to make money as a designer just with your skill, 
just with your design ability. Then we moved to Corpus Christi, Texas. And that's where I got the client. Um, I was in the parking lot of a Hobby Lobby. <laughs> and a, a lady was carrying big feathers. And my friend said, those are beautiful. She said, well, I'm trying to do a floral arrangement, but I don't know what I'm doing. And I wish I had help. And she said, well, my friend here is a designer. And so I actually worked with that woman for, um, gosh, for about a year. We did quite a bit uh, on that project. But then she told her friends and it snowballed. But again, you see, this wasn't some marketing strategy that I had, or it wasn't because I had a great website, or it wasn't because I had ASID and, and certified interior designer and a big office and a showroom. It was just me and a love for design and a love to help people and to ha help them have a beautiful home that they that they want to share with their family that that was what kept driving me um so after corpus christi then we moved to jacksonville florida and i actually tried to go back to a store there i tried to go back and work retail hours it was the same store that i had grown up in essentially and i saw that they had one and i went in and talked and i found out what you know that they're they were kind of struggling and i told her my background and and boy, she hired me on the spot. She even offered to build a daycare in the back so my kids could be there, um, which I didn't take her up on. But once again, realized retail hours were just too hard and went back independent. And I found one client. I donated my time in a gift basket at a charity, at a, a school, um, silent auction. And someone bought the gift basket, hired me to do one little Roman shade. and it snowballed. She told her friend who told their friends. And I had an incredible business there. I had an assistant. I mean, I was working on four houses simultaneously. Um, it, it was, that was really a game changer in just the types of jobs. You know, one was a condo on the beach and I, I didn't have contractors. So I did everything myself and I did the crown molding and I did chair reels and I faux painted and reupholstered and slip covered. And, um, gosh, I, I was my own workroom. I did everything. And then I learned again, you don't have to be scared. I mean, I know how to do these things, but not everyone does. So you can find a workroom, you know, you can find a contractor, you can find a handyman, but I just, I just quit worrying about whether I could do something. And I just went for it. I just kept saying, yes, yeah, I can do that. Yep, we could do that. Yep, sure. And then I knew I could figure it out. So Florida was great, but too hot, too sticky. And we finally got a chance to be back on the West Coast, where I'm from. I was one step closer to being to Seattle, where I grew up, and that was always our goal. And so we moved to San Diego, and uh, I was living on base housing, and it was another chapter, right? This house was going to be demolished, and they were really old, kind of quirky 50s style houses. And I knew they were going to complete the bulldozer and down and, you know, build back up again. So I got to really have fun. And I painted my cabinets bright green and um, I just played around with it. It looked like a 50s, that 50s housewife kitchen that I always wanted. Um, I made it all kitschy and cute in 50s. But living there and meeting the other women, at that time we were all staying home. That's when I learned about the internet and I learned about eBay and vintage. And once you have a design idea, you don't have to 
rely on what's just in the store. You can actually go seek out vintage pieces and build up your design and make it more interesting. And, um, you know, I learned all of that stuff, how to to do automatic bids on your – anyways, I, I bought a lot of kitschy 50 stuff. But, but that was another chapter, you know, and flash forward now to where I have a store and I have vintage mixed with new so that people can make a more interesting design. You know, they can get creative and they don't have to just go on eBay. They can actually see and touch it and feel it. But, um, but again, it was, it's something that meeting all of those women, those wives and hearing how they lived and what they wanted and how they wanted their houses to look, they didn't want cookie cutter. You know, they didn't want just Pottery Barn where everything matches and they wanted something that reflected them and made them look good. You know, that was a whole kind of an eye-opening. And and we were broke (laughs) at that time, of course, military, always broke. But that was also when I saw an ad for a manager um, of a store that was going to be a brand new store. And I thought, see if I can do this. Uh, Again, I never managed a store. I never managed anyone. I had just been a designer or a salesperson at a store. So when I interviewed for it and the interview went really well and I got home and I thought, I don't want to work retail hours again. Like, what am I doing? And I still, I was afraid that I would fall flat on my face. I was so successful as a designer in one of these stores and I talked a big game. Could I really pull it off? Right. And, you know, put my money where my mouth is. And so I called the the boss and I said, you know, I'm I'm changing my mind. I don't really know that I want a job. <laughs> And he said, oh, but you were our first choice. And I thought, oh, really? Hmm, competitive. So I took the job. But what I didn't know is that's a whole nother chapter. I got to hire a staff. So I got to interview designers and I knew what to look for. And they didn't, I didn't care if they had design degrees. I didn't care, you know, if they they had sat for the test or whatever or how many years. I just, I knew that it, it was a people person. I was looking for. It was someone who had just enough confidence, but didn't feel like a know-it-all. They were open to learning because I knew that was such a big part of this job. I look for people who had natural taste, but they don't have to be spectacular. They just just had to have better taste than 90% of people out there, which, you know, isn't hard to do. So I hired that staff. We had eight designers. Um, I helped design the showroom, which was great. I helped build up the library, which was great. Um, And luckily it was a franchise. So they had a lot of their stuff already nailed down. So I didn't have to completely invent the wheel. But that's where I started working with different types of designers and realizing what they have in common and what they have in common with me and, um, you know, really what makes a designer successful. And which ones fall on their face. And to be honest, the ones that fell that were horrible were ones that had more experience, were stuck in their ways. And, you know, they hadn't been successful out on their own. And that's why they were coming to work at a store. But I knew right away why they weren't successful. And and I tried to make them successful. But again, if if you're not open to learning and to to learning from each other and growing, you're never going to get any better. And you're never going to fix the problems you have and the, you know, the reasons that you weren't successful before. So I built it up to where I had the right team. And one designer, Paula, she was right out of FITM, the um, 
interior design school. So reputable design school, but she was 21 and she didn't know anything. She thought she did. She thought she knew everything, but you know, I had to teach her again, how to dress. When you're going to ask someone for a hundred thousand dollars, you need to dress a certain way. You need to speak a certain way. You need to present yourself a certain way, but she's also 21 and she looked, she had this baby face. So I had to teach her how to stand up strong and be confident and professional and kind of take the reins from the client and keep it that way. But again, not seem pushy because we've all been, you know, met someone that's in their twenties and they think they know everything and you despise those people. So <laughs> I know I didn't want that to happen. Um, there's another designer, Terry, who, Terry, Terry and her long fingernails and her perfectly straightened hair and she was tall and beautiful in these cute little outfits and um boy she had a natural natural knack for design but she never worked as a designer she was a housewife she'd never done anything in the design world but but you could just you just sense by looking at her that she was so pulled together that she knew how to make a great room so she was really successful people loved that about her um zelinda who i miss i haven't talked to her in so long she came from the furniture world, furniture stores. She worked at an Ashley store for years, and she was one of their top sellers. And she'd never been a designer, per se, but boy, she'd been in the industry, and she knew how to sell a sofa. So I taught her how to be a designer. And what people really liked about her, where I'm kind of loud and in your face, she's very soft-spoken. And she's, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Well, how do, you know, like, how does that make you feel? <laughs> she was so kind and gentle that people flock to her too because designing is a scary process. You know, doing your house is scary and it's a lot of money and what if I don't like it? What if they don't like it? What if he doesn't like it? Um, and Zelinda could always just put them their mind at ease and she would end up doing whole houses. You know, they'd come in for a lamp and she'd end up doing, you know, eight rooms in their office and their brother's house. And <laughs> But people like that personality. Um, gosh, the... Terry, Terry Visner, she was type A, too organized. She used to drive my contractors crazy. They never wanted to work with her because she was so particular. And she'd make them redo everything if it wasn't just perfect. And I had to teach her that there are some compromises. There are certain things that it's okay. No one's ever going to see it. You got to let it go. Let it go. Um, Kathy was fantastic. She was our um, rabbit from Winnie the Pooh, always nervous and always jumpy. and But she was so enthusiastic. And she could keep clients engaged and really just, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then we're going to do this. And, you know, she would hammer everything home, you know, really strong and determined. And, you know, these were different aged women. They were different backgrounds, different schooling. But they were all successful by figuring out what is important as a designer. Again, it's all about your clients. So it doesn't matter the background. It just matters how you deal with people. And so that team was great. It was so successful. We had so much fun. And it was three and a half years. We were top store, top, store, top sales, top everything. And I have trophies for being, you know, manager of the year that <laughs> what do you do with a marble trophy? Um, yay. But, but I loved, the, the part I loved about it was, I didn't get paid unless they hit their sales goals. And they're doing full design, wallpaper, and, you know, we would work with contractors for remodeling and furniture. And um, 
but I had to make sure they were successful or I wasn't successful. And when you have such a different variety of of designers with different backgrounds, different age, different experience, I had to handle each one differently. And it was my job to weekly coach them. And I knew every one of their projects. I knew every one of their clients. I could picture in my head the rooms. I always went to the first like three or four house calls with them just to teach them how to listen, what to look for, what to listen for, how to take notes correctly, the stuff that's important, things you're going to need in the future, um, and then what to give them. What were they really asking for? What was it that this client really wanted? They said this, but that's not what they wanted. They wanted this. Listen to how she got excited. Did you see the tear in her eye when she talked about it? I mean, it's watching the people that I was then able to sit down with the designers and say, this is how you use your personality to be most successful with this client. And some designers, it was time management. Zelina used to get incredibly overwhelmed. She had so many clients going in so many rooms and she would panic and she would freeze. And here's this soft-spoken, you know, um, gosh, she was a hula dancer. (laughs) And, but she would freeze and I'd see her getting behind on stuff. And I'd see her working on a project for days and she's on the same room over again and over again. And she'd say, what do you think of this? I thought, it's beautiful. You nailed it. Done. And three days later, she's still working on it. I thought, okay. So Linda felt like she had to suffer for her art. If it wasn't a challenge, if the design came too easy, then she didn't earn her income and she didn't work hard enough for the clients. But what she didn't realize was she was just getting better and better as a designer. And she could do these designs in her sleep because most people are the same and they pretty much want the same stuff. And so I had to beat that out of her. Like, it's okay that it's easy. It's okay that you did the entire house in a day. It's okay. You know, your time is worth worth so much more, you know, and now you have other projects to work on. So with her, I learned that a blank calendar for the week and I'd say, okay, here are the clients you have. You're meeting with, you know, so-and-so on Tuesday. So today I want you to pick out the sofa, pick out the coffee table and nail down this. All right, Wednesday, you're going to meet with these people. So this is what, and I'd write it down and I'd only show her that week. I wouldn't give her the month or six weeks. I, I would just help her focus her concentration on what do you need to do today? What, what can you do today, uh, you know, to move you forward to tomorrow and so on and so on. And again, my boss laughed and said, well, you invented the calendar. I'm like, Shut up. This really works. This is a great coaching tool. Um, but again, it's a different personality type, but I learned how to make her successful. Um, you know, Paula, again, it was slow down. You don't know everything. You don't know the perfect design. Listen to what they're telling you, you know, and be professional. You look young. She was 21. So it's just, it was more about going on those first house calls with her and teaching her what to listen for, right? And, and how to present herself. And, you know, now she's incredibly successful. Um, Tara Visner, again, teaching her how to not, you know, overthink everything. But because I was really learning that it didn't matter what personality type, there was a way to become a successful designer, even though you you had such, you know, varied experiences and stuff. Um, and that's when I realized that I need to be coaching. That's when I started my online school and started teaching, teaching these things that They didn't teach you in school. They don't teach you how to listen to a client. You know, in school, mostly they give you no budget, no time frame. 
it, it's a pie in the sky, you know, dream, but that's not reality. You know, the percentage of designers that work at that level, it's be, it, it'd be like being a professional sports player. You know, how many NFL players are there out there? Vice, how many people really love football? <laughs> so, you know, I, I want anyone that's listening to this, you've seen that I've been through, you know, 30 years of designing and I've seen it all and I've lived all over and I've started businesses over and over because I had to. And because of that sort of forcing me into success and not accepting failure, nothing scares me now. And people that meet me now and look at my store, which is massive, and I still look at it and go, holy crap, this is huge. Ten thousand square feet, just upstairs. Three thousand downstairs, um, and you know, I wanted to open my own store. I mean, every designer thinks of in the future where they want their own little design studio or their own boutique, and you know, I can just sit here and clients come to me, and I'm not having to go all over. And I always dreamt of that, and now I have it, <laughs> and it's go big or go home. I mean, this location is so perfect. I mean, it's perfect. It was a furniture store for thirty five years. So I I mean everything's set up to be a furniture store. So I knew that was done. Um but again, it, you know, it's a little fear. Can I hire my own staff and wear all the hats and pay all the bills? And you know, the ordering was always done for me and the POs and the the invoices were always done for me. And now I had to do not just for me, but for an entire staff. And it's scary, but every day I learn something and every day I research something and I learn absolutely something new about our industry and how to work smarter, not harder, and how to be more effective. Um, And my goal really is to get everything running so smoothly that my dream is I just get to work with my designers again. And all I'm doing is coaching and helping them with their projects like I used to. Um, Because that's my happy place. You know, that's where I really thrived. But I want you to understand, it looks like I have this huge success and it was just easy. But it wasn't. It was years and years of mistakes and falling down and just getting back up. Just just never gave up. I knew this was the dream and this was the goal and I'm still reaching my goals every day and hopefully 10 years from now whether this is a giant chain or <laughs> I have my own uh HGTV show or my own line of furniture or fabrics which is also on my bucket list. Um I'm not afraid. I know the timing will be right and I'm just going to go for it. So if you love interior design, which you wouldn't be listening to this if you weren't, you know, if you didn't, I just, I don't want you to be afraid, you know, set your eyes to where you're going to be five years from now and think to yourself, what can I do tomorrow to get me closer? But what's one thing I can learn that'll get me closer to that? And then the next day you just do the same thing. And every day you get closer and closer to that goal. Because doing what you love is everything. And I still feel like I've never worked a day in my life. I, I still love what I do. I still tear up when I'm helping a client. Um, I can't wait for install. I mean, it's all of that that's great about being a designer. And I, I still see how it's still going to grow. And I still have so much that I get to enjoy and experience. And um, I'm so glad that I didn't quit or that I didn't stay where I was stuck at a retail store because I thought that's what I had to do. I needed a steady paycheck. There, There's a lot you can sacrifice and go without at the beginning 
in order to go after what you want because the money will follow and the success will, will follow as long as you just don't give up. Just just keep moving forward. That's That's the best advice I can give to anyone because this really is worth it in the end. Having your design business is absolutely worth every heartache. You just got to go for it. If I can do it, you can do it. If I can start from where I started from and, you know, mortgage and baby and car payment and one kind of half client with something that I had never done before. And now look where I am. You can do this. Anyone that loves design, you got to be a designer. It feeds your soul. And on that note, happy designing, everyone. I'm so honored and blessed that you guys listen to me and care what I say. Um, and I wanted to tell you the backstory because this is why I feel confident in teaching you guys, you know, the real ins and outs of being a designer, because I feel like I've sort of taught myself and I had the schooling and, you know, I, I, I know how scary it is, but I also know if you just keep going for it, you're going to be a success and you're going to love your job. So once again, happy designing. I will see you guys next week and please check in on my Facebook page and my YouTube channel, thumbs up, like, leave comments, share, uh, you know, your questions, share upsets you've had or successes you've had and let's stick together. I'm going to, I'm going to keep helping and keep coaching uh, and keep building this design world of ours. Thanks everyone. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of design for a living with Chelsea Coriel. Our episodes will be dropping on Sunday. So stay tuned. We are on Google podcast and Spotify, and soon you will find us on YouTube where we will upload podcast videos. So stay tuned for that and follow along. Thanks so much for being with us. Find us online at designforaliving.com. Visit us on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and house at Design for a Living. If you'd like to submit a question or request a topic, email us at chelsea at designforaliving.com. That's C-H-E-L-S-E-A at designforaliving.com.